Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey everyone, this is BT and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are talking about generational victimhood and hoping you are not one of them. Chances are you probably are though. So here we go. I always cringe a little bit when we start talking about <laughs> victimhood because it's so it's so prevalent, I feel like, in our world today. And, and we'll get more into this as we talk about what our country's going through later on in this. But, you know, you, you started off the episode by talking about how we interpret everything in our life based on a belief system. And chances are, more often than not, that belief system is not even your own. Like you didn't, I mean, you adopted it from those who basically taught you, raised you, or around yeah. you the most often. So I guess I want to start off by asking, why is it so important to ask the question, whose beliefs are these? Because I feel like we go on these little runs and we're starting to realize that that's more my dad or that's my mom or that's my uncle or that's my aunt. Why do we need to stop and say, whose beliefs are these in the first place? Because most of the beliefs that we have were transferred over to us without any critical thinking about whether we wanted to accept them as beliefs on our part because we didn't have the ability. No choice. The conscious mind doesn't start developing until around seven years old, and that's where our critical thinking is, is in our conscious mind. So all the information that we're taking in, this, this is why religion is the way that it is because you can put religion into a little kid's head and tell them it's the only thing, that's it, it's an absolute, every one is wrong, and they will vehemently defend that as an adult. They have, no, they have no idea why they believe it because somebody told them when they were three that that was the truth was, right? Sure. So it's the same with any belief. You put that into somebody's mind before they have the ability to reject it, question it, or critically think about it, they accept it as an absolute that's just the way that it is. How many times have you heard somebody, you ask somebody, well, why is that? And they'll say, because it is. That's just the way it's, it is. It's, just because. It is what it is. Right. They can't explain it, right? But to them... Well, you've done it yourself. From that experience, you believe that you're completely right. It's like there's no other option. It's like your mind just goes, it just shuts down. You know, it becomes very myopic around around that idea. And that that's what the problem is. We can't critically think until we start to question why we're not critically thinking. If we don't say, where did this belief come from? We never consider that we didn't ask for the damn thing, Right. It, and I remember when I went through my struggle with religion because I was raised Catholic. I also e- experimented and dove into the other denominations around Christianity as a as a child. I was curious. This whole idea that you would go to hell, uh, that hell was this real place of fire and brimstone hell, you know, like Dante and Dante's Inferno that you would go to uh, for various different reasons, which we won't get into. I just wasn't buying into this. And that every other person on the planet that had a different religion was wrong and they're all going to hell. And I'm like, okay, so here's here's questions, right? Here's questions I had when I was a kid. So God knows everything. God created everybody. God knows what everybody's going to do. Why would God create all these people that he knows is never going to come over to the right religion and he's just going to have to send them burn in hell for forever? I'm not buying that story, man. I don't care what the fuck you're pushing. I'm not buying that. It's such a load of horse shit. But here's the thing about this. If you don't ever challenge that belief, 
it will become the totality of your existence, along with everything else that you believe. There's not enough money. Uh, if, I t- if I make too much money, you don't have enough. If I don't eat everything, all the carrots on my plate, kid in China is going to starve. Like all the bullshit that we heard growing up as manipulative ideas, those things go in as beliefs and they become absolute. And if you don't question them, they literally become your experience because you can't experience outside of your belief system. Yeah, those uh, those starving kids in Ethiopia. I took a food out of their mouths because I didn't. You eat did. My you canned killed half a million carrots. all by my yourself. Carrots, right. damn it! Yeah, it's so. It's just. I don't know. It's just really interesting when you stop and think about. Like you just rattled off a few beliefs right there. Are there some other common beliefs you've come across by working with all these, you know, people over the course of your time in this business that logically it makes no sense? Like what you just said about religion, logically it makes no sense that that God would create all these varying factions and there's only one way to go about thinking about it. Logic doesn't play in right. into people's minds. Like right. you said, the twisting of the brain. But what are some other like limited beliefs or some, you know, victimhood beliefs that you've come across in your day where you're like, if you just stop and think think for a minute, that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, well, we probably stay on the horn all day with this. But so when I did, when I created the Art of Success seminar the first time, I pointed out in that seminar that what was, what was astonishing to me was that as I began to study business people, entrepreneurs, that their value system about life itself was very polarizingly different than middle class, somebody who was working for a living for safety, right, for the for the the gold watch. Sure. But what shocked me was how staggeringly different it was, down to things like this. Asking somebody for something is rude. You don't ask for anything. I remember growing up, you go to somebody's house, you don't ask for anything. You say please and thank you. You don't touch anything. Keep your mouth shut. Like it was this like. What's going to, what the fuck? Am I going into the Vatican well, here? Yeah, what, like, children should be seen and not heard comes to mind. And I've heard that from It was multiple, something like that. It was, it was something similar. like that. But you develop, this, you develop this belief. It's not okay to talk about money. It's not okay to talk about sex. It's not okay to touch your genitals. God Never. forbid you should ever touch yourself. <laughs> like, don't, don't do that. So you, so you grow up with this. But think about it. Think about an entrepreneur. If they don't ever get out of, it's rude to ask somebody for something, how do they have a conversation around buying anything? Yeah, you don't. Right? How do you have, if you, um, I, like I've coached a lot of therapists, a lot of people that are therapists, want to be therapists, coaches that had a very difficult time having interpersonal conversations about personal things with somebody. I'm like, how are you going to change their life if you don't have a, if you're not comfortable in that conversation? You're talking about sex, you're talking about death, you're talking about disease, you're talking about being broke, you're talking about people philandering, like all the problems that people have in their life. If you're not comfortable, if you're not comfortable in that conversation, right? So you can't get comfortable if you have the belief that asking questions about somebody's personal life is rude. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't ask for money. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day. They're stuck in their mind around the idea that they have debt. And they're shaming themselves to death. I'm like, where did you get this idea? They're like, well, it's everywhere. You know, everybody knows you're not supposed to have debt. I'm like, who's everybody, right? It comes back down to what we believe as a kid. Can debt be a bad thing? It can be a horrible thing if you don't know why you're spending money or what you're spending it on and you don't have any way to control your income. But if you understand debt, if you understand money, if you understand how to create money, 
debt is leverage, man. Like you can do all kinds of great things with with constructive debt. It's not a bad thing at yeah. all. Well, that I'll tell you what, that was a powerful, powerful belief that I got. And I've spoken about it before. My mom used to put these pamphlets in my room. And I make it sound like she did it every week, and it was probably maybe once or twice. But because she worked at a banking institution, she used to get these pamphlets, and they would say, out of hawk. And it was all about how debt is the devil, basically, and you should never carry debt. My mom didn't float any credit card bills. She always paid. I'm only going to get this if I have enough money. We didn't float anything. There wasn't any financing. I grew up in a trailer house and I'm sure they had to finance that, but there were these pamphlets and I didn't have debt until I married into debt with my lovely wife. And she came from the standpoint that you do that debt is a tool, debt is leverage. So it was that that I had to overcome. And I still struggle with that. That had to freak you the hell out. Oh, big time. I I mean, I, I struggled so much. Like when we put our honeymoon on a credit card, I'm like, oh my God, holy shit, this is crazy. But we didn't have the money to pay for it. That's what credit is. It leveraged, you know, our future earning potential to be able and go and have an amazing right. week in, in Jamaica. Right. But if it were up to my mom, you know, but back the whole in the time day, you worried about it. Oh, so hundred percent. And then, you're seeing that, okay, I make the minimum payment. And now on credit card statements, you probably haven't looked at a credit card statement in a while, but credit card statements, they now have, if you pay the minimum, you will have this paid off in 2046. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is great. And this conversation actually came up the other day, listening to another podcast, talking about the extreme amount of debt that kids are being saddled with coming out of college now. And that's a whole different animal because we could really do something in our, in our university structure to change that. But we're talking specifically about, you know, debt as a tool in your business. And that was a belief system that I had to overcome. And like I said, I still struggle with that a little bit here and there. Money is probably the biggest cause of friction or confused thoughts when it comes to these, you know, sort of generational victimhood thoughts. Yeah. I would think. I, I mean, don't, I, I don't think about it. I don't worry. No, about you it. don't no. like you just, and, and I don't, and, and I haven't looked at a credit card. So I shouldn't say that. I, I, I see the the statements that, that come in, but yeah, most of the mail just goes straight to my bookkeeper. Yeah, and you have somebody it. who takes that. But I see it every day on a statement. I mean, yeah, I see sure. it on the statements that I get. So Yeah, and it's just it really is interesting, though, that these belief systems, I think if we stop and take a moment to ask ourselves, where do these beliefs come from? You know, they're not yours. They were inherited from someone. That's why I love, you know, in one of the programs that you do, that's a big tenet of, you know, getting to the bottom or the root of why they struggle so much in their life, in their business. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, their rejection, or they're not lovable or all these other beliefs that were piled on. Well, a lot of it came out of a serviceability at one point in time. Like yeah. if you trace back stuff, you've heard the pot roast story before, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? I, could you please share the pot roast story one more time? Just do the abbreviated version. All it's right. the best freaking story okay, ever. Okay, so a husband and wife get married and uh, uh, one of them comes home and the other one's making dinner and uh, they, put a pot, they put a pot roast out. Both the ends are cut off of it. And uh, the spouse says to the other one, uh, this is great, but why are the ends cut off? And the, the person says, well, my mother always made it that way, cut the ends off. That's how, exactly how you make pot roast. And he's like, not buying it, right? So when they see mom, they ask her, what do you cut the ends of the pot roast off for? And she's like, because that's the way you make pot roast. That's the way my mother taught me make, how to make pot roast. So th- he's just not buying this. Like there's something going on here. They meet grandma. And they ask, why do you cut the ends off the pot roast? And she says, oh, because back when grandma and grandpa got married, we didn't have a pan big enough to fit a whole pot roast in, and we had to cut the ends off to make it fit. 
But that got passed down, right? So the, it's, a, it's a serviceability thing. Right. Many things through either through a bad experience going and then going into all or nothing thinking, I'm never going to do that again, right? Like, for instance, when my car got repossessed, right, when I was, when I was in my early 20s, I could have developed this belief, I'm never going to finance a car again. I'm only going to pay cash for a car again. Never gonna ha- Instead of correcting the behavior that caused it to happen to begin with. But I've seen people that do that, you know, that they have a bad experience. The bad experience becomes the rule. They never look at what caused the bad experience, and they associate it with something that really has relatively nothing to do with it. And they say, never do this again. Or they make debt bad. Or they, look at how sex got made bad. Sure. Right? It was, yeah. it became a way to control people. Right. Right? They didn't want people, you didn't want your wife fooling around on you. You didn't want your husband fooling around on you. So let's make it wrong in the church. Right? Let's make it wrong in the church. This way we can, we can trust that nobody's going to be fooling around. On each other. If you make somebody afraid of something, you have a very good chance of stopping the behavior. Sure. Or or driving it deep underground, like where people do it in secret. Because it's not like people don't fool around on their spouses. Right. I mean, yeah. Know. And not only that, but they they take on that belief as all or nothing. This is how it is. Yeah. And then, like you said, with the pot roast principle, there it just continues to be carried on to the next, to the next, to the next, until you, you know, somewhere down the line, hopefully somebody wises up and says, you know, asks the questions, why, and starts to challenge it and yeah. test it a little bit. Yeah, I love I love that story. And when I, mean, I was a kid, and I would say why, it would be because. Oh sure, yeah. Because. I didn't get a reason because I said so. That's yeah. it. But why? Because I said so. And I've told you before, when I was in school, I asked a lot of questions. And, and right. I've never really thought about, maybe this is the reason I kind of shut school off so young, but it may have something to do with it. I have to go back and look at that. But I remember asking really deep questions, things that I really was curious about as a kid and actually getting in trouble for asking the questions. Sure. I don't think they knew how to answer the. I don't, I don't. Not that I don't think they don't. They didn't know. They didn't know how to answer the questions. And this was especially in my religious upbringing when I went to catechism. Yeah, like for Sunday Catholic school. school. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sure. And, and if they don't have an answer to the question, they're probably instead of looking at you as an intuitive, you know, little seeker of knowledge, they shut you down because they were probably thinking to themselves, "Well, I don't have an answer, and I don't want to sound stupid. Yeah. So maybe I'll just." either draw attention away from it or I'll just say because that's the way it is. Yeah. And because that's the way it is, it's not a way to live No, and the other thing is, I think that there were probably times where they knew the answer, but they felt that it was inappropriate to answer for the age group that I was asking. Sure. It. And they did not want to open a bucket of worms with every other kid in that class and have their parent coming back saying, what the hell are you telling my kid this for? Oh, I know full well, because I used to teach... Um I used to teach the talk to my fifth graders and the talk was basically we had to do a sexual education of sorts. I don't know if they can even do this in schools anymore, but you would have to have all the boys in one room, all the girls in another room. And I would have to get up in front of all the boys and, and talk about all manners of things. And there was always that one little wise ass who would ask the, they were probably really good questions, but we would just totally deflect because we were shutting him down. We yeah. weren't allowing those conversations to be had. Instead of, and then we'd maybe, you know, I hope to God I didn't do this, but maybe we would, you know, shut him down and, and ridicule or, you know, instead of pulling him off to the you side. You did. There's some his, kid that said it I'm goes sure, to a therapist now I'm because sure Mr. Tuss told him not to you, touch his penis. There are, there are people all over this world that I've taught that probably <laughs> are like, God damn it. They're probably at our events. Yeah, They're probably. probably getting this. But it, it made me think about, you know, 
how quickly we are to shut down those little curiosities. You you see it on TV, you see it in movies, you know, that little kid that's like, why? Well, why? Well, why? Right. And you get to a point where it's like, it's just because it is that way. And that is can be very damaging, I think, if yeah. we come, come and approach it from that standard. So. The problem is, is it's, it's interesting when you're, you know, I get it. A teacher has to move on. They can't yeah, yeah, ask yeah. answer every why in that classroom. They have to move on with the agenda. But when that becomes the belief, when that becomes the belief system, just because, why, don't ask the question, then you're affecting that child as an adult forever right. if they don't ever challenge those beliefs. Yeah. So that's why, getting back to your initial question yes. of why do we ask? Why do we ask? There you go. Because we need to know where it came from so we can decide whether or not it's serviceable to us or not. Sure. So let me, let's look at this from a different angle and get a little down and dirty on, you know, how being a victim serves people because this, this world is riddled with victims, right? And I'm not talking about the victims, you know, in the sense, I like how you ended this episode by talking about and defining a little bit about what you mean by a victim. We're not talking about victims of sexual abuse or misconduct or anything like that. We're talking about the people who are maybe not coming from a place of empowerment, they're coming from a place of a victim. So the different angle of looking at this is, and I'm curious to know your thoughts, why is it so easy to be a victim? Because you don't have to challenge anything inside of yourself that you don't want to look at. So part of the way that most people are raised is with a respectable amount of guilt and shame. If I start having to question parts of myself that may be viewed as inadequate, I'm going to experience shame. But I don't want to own that. I want to blame that, right? Sure. So now it's easier to blame it right off the bat, and I don't have to look at anything. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. Yeah, shame and guilt rule the day for so many people, and there will be people who are born and live their life and die without ever addressing those those deep, dark... Well, it also becomes groupthink. It, it becomes... It becomes Power in numbers. Oh, well, 100%. It's, 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 it's rabid in cultures of people. You know, and they accept the fate of that groupthink, and the, their whole life is shaped by that groupthink. And they don't even realize the things that they're blaming don't even exist anymore. They are creating it out of their belief that it once existed. And it, it did once exist, but not now. You know what I mean? So the idea is that. You know, I was, I was doing some, I was just looking at a few things. I happened to listen to a speech that Kennedy gave a few days ago. And he was talking about how divided the country was, right? So this is in like 1960, 61, yeah, sure. uh, how divided the country was. And I, and I'm, I was kind of realizing like, yeah, you know, the, basically the country is divided whenever we don't have a common, a common enemy. You know, mm -hmm. like when World War II, we had a common enemy, the country pulled together, right? Sure. But then we have the differences that take place when things relatively safe in our personal world, then our minds can go in whatever direction we can randomly let them go in and we all form different opinions based on the experiences that we're having, but not about the truth. Mm -hmm. So we're just letting the experience rule our emotions, the experience rule the reality that we're experiencing at the moment, but without any discipline to come back and say, what's the truth about this? It's very easy for me to go down a road where I become a victim and you're the problem, right? right. Plus, we've also created a society, in all fairness, that allows people to be victims, that actually celebrates people to be victims in a way. 
We have huge portions of society where we've created society in a way where you don't have to completely develop yourself 100%. You can develop yourself enough to be useful to somebody else, and that person will pay you to live an, you know, an average life, you know, decent, mm -hmm. a decent life. But you don't ever really have to learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to manage your life from day to day. But you don't learn skill sets really beyond that. Psychologically, that makes me dependent. I can be dependent on my job. I can be dependent on my marriage. I can be dependent on other individuals. I'm dependent on my government. I'm dependent on my health care. I'm dependent, 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 dependent. I don't think the human spirit wants to be dependent. And I think that part of the victimization is is kind of like a twisted higher self looking for a way out that doesn't know how to get out. It's pissed off that it's dependent to begin with. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, but it just doesn't know how to break out of it. The problem is, is that the reality that it sees for another individual is that that person or that group of people is keeping me where I am. And it's harder to look inward at yourself than it is to actually accept responsibility for what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself getting sucked into these us versus them like hive mind, especially coming out of the election um, and the candidates and how divisive it was and how close it was and all the things that were going on. I'm not here to discuss that, but I find myself feeling like it's us versus them. Like it's the Republicans versus the Democrats. It's the liberals, you know, versus the yeah. conservatives. And you you want to associate it with it. And I don't pay any attention to politics. But for some reason, these past four years, I've been paying more attention because it affects the bottom line, maybe in business. But it's so interesting because even though I pay no much of attention to it, I still find myself with the hive mind like, yeah, we were wronged. We want justice. And at the end of the day, my life is not going to change significantly, right. no matter who's sitting on the iron throne, right? It changes if you're dependent upon all those people. Exactly. I'm not personally. Yes, exactly. I create my own economy. Yeah. I don't give a flying fuck what they raise the taxes to. I'll figure out how to make that, more money. That's right. Exactly. But it, it So just, they can do whatever the hell they want. It made me think about, and, and I guess the question I wanted to ask when you were talking about that is, is there a gift in divisiveness? Is it okay yes. to be divided? Can yes. you talk, yeah, talk to Yeah, absolutely. Because it, because it forces critical thought. And that's a good thing. But you also have to recognize that it can get out of hand. And when the disenfranchised start to have more power out of victimization, now we've got a problem. Because it goes down, you know, if you, if you look at, if you look at a lot of people that believe that they're victims and, and the truth is, is that the, the system does keep them in a victim state, it's not, it's not encouraging them to get out of being a victim. So it supports them in handouts for being a victim. It's very difficult to climb out of that because there's no incentive. There's no incentive to get out, right? And the human being needs incentive of some kind, whether it's an internal incentive or an external incentive to help them climb out of that, of that situation. But when you're, you then move into this political environment where the people's jobs at the political level are dependent upon the incentive of the victimized, right? There's no power to get them out of being a victim to, for you to keep your job. Right. It's actually to keep them a victim. And that's what people have to wake up to because that's part of where our political system is broken. Sure. You know, it's completely broken there. It, it's not, it's, and it's actually going backwards. It's not moving forward because the more you create a voice for victimization, the more that voice will then have more power and you'll end up flipping the country over. That's yeah. where you end up with a Marxist, a Marxism or socialism or, or whatever. That's why you see these countries that this happens to because 
if it if everybody becomes the voice of I'm a victim, how do you change? What do you do? What do you do? If everybody believes you're a victim, then everybody stays there and we need the state to get us out of that problem. Yeah, we don't want that. Can't do anything for ourselves. Right. Right? So how does the state get out of that problem? Let's take all of it and spread it out evenly or de- decide what we're going to what we're going to hand out. There's there is going to be no incentive to move your life forward based on your own merits and what you can, you know, do for yourself because then that's considered selfish or or not good or you're keeping other people down by doing that. And, it, and all that's crap. Which goes back to those generational beliefs that we started taught this whole It does. Yeah, so it's gener- a cycle. So yeah. here, but here's the, I think here's the point about this from the, from the aspect of where you've kind of taken the conversation here. Every generation has to be diligent of what keeps us free. It's not like, okay, we figured this out, let's move on. No, we have never figured it out, right? People, certain people figure it out for themselves, but we have to figure out what works and every generation has to fight for that because there's always the chance of a backslide, right? There's always a chance of losing our freedom. Sure. Well, and you just said, you just spoke about the the speech from Kennedy back in the 60s. Yeah. Clearly we, I mean, it, things have gotten better, but we're still dealing with the same sort of inequities and all these other we things are. with racial injustices and all these other pieces. So it's not like we, we've probably learned from our mistakes, but we also keep repeating them of sorts. Yeah. And this isn't our first rodeo. It's not the first time we're here. We will heal, we'll be better, and then it'll happen again, and it'll happen again. And that's just part of being human, I right. guess. Yeah. The thing is, is that you deal with you. You end up with you end up with something in a free society that becomes kind of a paradox. You, how can you tell somebody that they can't be a victim if they're free? Right. Right. You cannot set a standard for somebody and then make them live up to that standard without enforcing an ideology on someone. So it, it does create a problem. Yeah. It does create a problem because how do you maintain a value standard in a society? where you either can do that or you can't do that. It becomes a it becomes a real issue. It's a very debatable issue. But this is where this is where the divisiveness and critical thinking has to come in because the idea is that in the end we'll work out into the medium, right? The ends will come to the middle and we'll come to a solution that maintains it however weird it is. Uh, it does seem to keep things moving consistently forward. Sure. Well, this, you know, generational victimhood discussion to me, feeds really neatly into the nature versus nurture debate. Um, You know, some people overcome and thrive no matter what their experiences are, and they're able to elevate themselves out of it, um, raising their current experience from where they started. Then you've got others who are doomed to live with the struggle because that's all they know. Mm -hmm. So I guess, how do we go about changing a belief system when everything in our current experience just confirms we have nothing? You have to have a desire to do something different. Desire to you have to want something different. Otherwise, there's no reason to change it. Safety, security, certainty inside the human being is a huge thing. But there's also this life force that is constantly pulling us forward. What you generally see is one overcompensates for the other in most people. Either the, either the safety or the certainty is overthrowing the life force or the life force is trying to throw out the safety and certainty and actually move the person forward. The only way I've ever seen somebody overcome this is to seriously understand what they want and go after it. Allow themselves to want it. See, that's where when you take away the desire out of human ambition, you shut, the, you shut human potential down completely inside of a person. Oh, that's scary. 
It's very scary. Yeah. Well, in the episode you finished off with, we can change the meaning and we can change the experience. Right. And I thought Absolutely. that was so, so impactful because, you know, whatever experience you find yourself in right now, if you're not getting the results, if you're not liking what you're doing, you, a personal responsibility, you have to accept it, that you're the part that you're the part that's creating yes. this. And then the other part is if you want a different experience, you got to do something different. That's going to yeah. bring you that experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's so many people out there that hold on to things that you said, they make you miserable. They make you broke. They make you sick. They make you combative and ornery. And it keeps you there right in that box in a very defensive posture. So for the person out there who might be feeling those things, what's just one quick shift they can do right there to just accept what they are and then move forward? And just ask themselves why they're having, why are they choosing to have the experience that they're having? James Allen, yeah, which yeah. you got from the As a Man Thinking. Yep. Why are, that because is you, have to, you have to bring it back into understanding how you're connected to the, to the result. If I don't ever see that I'm connected to this result, I will always think it's your fault. Right. So I have to start to see the connection. So if I start asking a different question, this is where Robbins was right. He said questions are the answer. If we ask a more intelligent question, we get a better quality answer. So if I say, why am I choosing to have this experience? My mind is going to try to answer this question. That's going to lead me to a different reality. Yes. So we have to ask that question. You have to ask it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think it's... I think, I think we can say that, you know, your work and the, the skills that you bring to podcasts like this and the work you do with other people is you make every attempt to do your part to eradicate victimhood. And, yeah. and there's no way that we can completely get rid of it. There's going to be victims because it's just comfortable for them. But you have done an amazing thing by having people really stop and ask themselves those hard questions. And the more we do that, the more we're able to, you know, elevate our own position and help others along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a powerful episode. I mean, I think you and I both agree, you know, we, we aren't victims. It's gross. We're disgusted right. by it for the most part. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to get a lot of benefits from what you had to say. So cool. Thanks for coming inside. You bet, man. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.